Here they come! Hello and welcome to episode one of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today I'm joined by Matt from Neozaz Productions to discuss the opening of Star Wars A New Hope, from the end of the opening scroll to the first cut into the Tanta V4. Hello, Matt. Hello. Hello. Can I start off, Matt? by uh, just asking you to uh, say a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, well, you mentioned Neozaz, and as far as the internet is concerned, that's probably my biggest identity, that Neozaz is the podcast network that, um, well, this you've found this show on. Uh, we also have a bunch of shows, stars in character, Indiana Jones in character, the Grady's, all kinds of pop culture s- stuff. Um, outside of that, uh, my background is in technology and i've been a film buff for about as long as i can remember and i think having that kind of mindset that led me to technology is kind of given or i should say maybe built from wanting to know how things work particularly special effects uh when we come to this subject and so i I think uh, uh on that kind of odd reflection uh the interest of special effects has I'm not going to say shaped who I am because I might be a little extreme, but it's definitely lent its its uh, hand to my interest and maybe in a, to uh, an extent my personality and what I do for a living. It, it, it's good that you say that because I think this sequence that we're going to be talking about today, I think more than any other, uh, any other, I've been trying to think of any other effect sequence from film or television over the years that's as iconic as this. Yeah. And I, I mean, there's the um, the 2001 sequence with the uh, the bone being thrown in the air and the quick cut to the spaceship, and there's the the gateway part at the end. But I can't think of one other sequence uh, from any film or any television show that is so, as I say, iconic, uh, so classic, so memorable, and so recognisable. So that's the reason for choo- choosing uh, this sequence for our very first episode so uh, let's go ahead and have a sound clip from it There you go. Uh, um, a stunning sequence, even even with the sound turned down. You turn the uh, sound down on your television. Um, it, it's just stunning. But this is one of those occasions um, in effects where the sound, I think, aug- augments the visual and makes it even better. Um, just after the opening uh, scroll has gone away and, and, and we just see the blackness of space, you've got that bombastic score by John Williams. But then over that, 
you start to hear the approach of uh, the Tantor V4, and and you don't just hear it; it it starts quite quietly, doesn't it? And yeah. and it builds up even before you even see the ship. Um, it's selling you that something is coming, doesn't it? That's one of my favorite parts of this, and it's kind of weird to to start off this conversation and your your initial episode by going right into sound, but I, but I have to. <laughs> one of my favorite things is the the sound buildup of first a 10 of four, kind of like a screeching and it almost implies it's in danger. And then the, the overwhelming uh, for lack of a better word, rumble into a whoosh of the, of the star destroyer. I think this, and it, I, I will admit, I never put these things together as a child seeing this movie, but in later years in life and getting into audio as I am with news as in the audio, uh, particularly outside the podcast, the auto productions we do, this might be the sequence that really made me realize how effective sound can be to a visual and, and like how much they work together. And it's, the, and it's when those two ships both cross the plane of that screen is, is when I first made that realization, I think with any movie that I've seen. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you know, the ship comes in and all right, there's a spaceship, but, but you know, the sound then builds, you have, you, you have the whoosh of the spaceship. You immediately have the, the blaster fire going all over. Um, and, suddenly you're, you're just dropped into this new, new world, you know? Right. Um, um, before we even see the Star Destroyer, though, the, the, the Tantive 4 comes over, and um, you see its engines. And this, this thought occurred to me. I, I watched it yesterday. I watched it twice. Um, we've got a Blu-ray player and a regular DVD player, and I've still got the, um, the original uh, theatrical cut of Star Wars on DVD. You know, it came in that box set. Yes, you know, yeah, 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 space. yep. So I, I lined them both up, you know, just to see if there were any differences between the two scenes. And so I, I would watch a few seconds on one and then pause, go to the other channel that had the other one. And, and there's not that many changes, actually. I thought I thought Lucas would have tweaked it, but he, <laughs> yeah. he didn't. It seems to be cleaned up more than change, which I am glad because there's a lot of things about that. And there's there's more I want to say, but just the, the, just a comment on that. I'm glad that was largely untouched. Cleaning up, I can appreciate completely changing extending and all that that's yeah. another story it there are some color changes i mean the, in, in the original theatrical the tanta v4 and the star destroyer i think yeah you, you know look more white whereas on the blu-ray they are this like murky gray now yeah, it's um, almost like it's yeah i've seen um i've never watched them side to side it's actually a good idea but I, i've seen pick freeze frame comparisons there is like the, the like a just a blue throughout the entire movie for some reason it's like looking through it through half a 3d set of 3d glasses i saw it somewhere there's there's some it's something to do with color correction or something and and um they changed the hue of the whole film so for for instance if you look at the theatrical the the, the striping on the tanta v4 is red but if you watch it on blu-ray it's more now of a magenta yeah which uh it, that's interesting now that you say that because i have a very good friend of mine who went through film school and we were talking i was having trouble color correcting i think just a photo and he explained to me that uh what he learned it's like a lot of people try to color correct the white but the proper thing to do is to color correct the flesh tone of the particular subject and i wonder if that alters like All everything right. else around in the movie it could be couldn't it yeah. yeah 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 but the other thing once once that ship's gone over and you see um um its engines and its engines are glowing orange Okay, and that got me thinking. I can't think before Star Wars of can you of any instance where you actually see uh, a spaceship's engines glowing? Mm, not I. 
No, in fact, yeah, I mean, I was trying to think that, of course, the the instant comparison without starting any kind of internet argument is Star Trek and the 60s Star Trek's lit up but didn't glow and I don't not, even think not, it had any kind of thruster effect to it at all. No, you had you had the color on the nacelle on the Enterprise that yeah. you at the front, but there was ne- never any you never saw anything at the back. You know, and I was trying to think of all the TV shows that I used to watch, all the Owen Allen ones, all the Jerry Anderson ones, um, going back to the 50s. I mean, they were mainly flying saucers, yeah, you know. <laughs> true. Um, but um, I, I think this was um, a precedent that was set to actually have engines that um, glowed like that. And it's kind of, now that I think about it historically, you would think that bef- that would happen well before 19... 19- the 1970s because we're well into the space age and we know i mean the 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 connection with space flight should be i think commonly rockets so you'd want some kind of heat or engine glow because that's what people would be expecting i would think yeah you 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 would think in the 60s there would be something like that. I mean, I mean in the 50s. I mean, I'm a big uh, 50s B movie fan, and you know, I I love the fact that when you see a spaceship in space in those films, they go from the bottom of the screen up, you know, in <laughs> in, in a straight line. But you never see the engines. You know, um, you, you get something like Planet of the Apes, which was 68. Um, but the spaceship, you have a POV of the spaceship crashing, and then you see it in the water. You never actually, you know, see it in space. True. Yes. Um, so I, 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 I re- it would be very nice, you know, um, on the Facebook page or uh, or wherever, if, if if people can actually um, comment and prove us that we're completely yeah. wrong, and this <laughs> was was in fact done many many times beforehand, and I'm just an idiot, you know. <laughs> That's what um, the internet can always provide: proof that you're an idiot. It's a guarantee, yep. isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. And, and then the other thing, I mean, I'm, I'm going to skip over the Star Destroyer. I, I, I think this this episode should be Tanta V4 okay. heavy because, you know, Star Destroyer will be coming up in, in future episodes. But so I'm going to completely, and, and it's, it's giving it a huge disservice to, to skip the, uh, um, the, the Star Destroyer coming overhead in this part of the episode. We'll talk about it um, later on. Okay. But once it has passed over, um, you, you see its engines, and its engines are blue, right? right. And this thought hasn't occurred to me to, until I, I compared the two. Um, is this a case of like the blaster bolts and the lightsabers that you've got one color for the goodies and one color for the baddies? Yeah, okay. I, I, I um, do actually, believe it or not. As weird as you that do. may sound, yep. <laughs> oh, no, 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 that's not right. No, no, it can't be. You can't have blue... It- Sorry, we're going into geek zone here. You can't You can't have blue engines for the bad guys because the Millennium Falcons are blue. Oh, okay, there you go. Interesting. Uh, uh, shoot. I was right. thinking in this sequence alone, just a... Di- I, I, I thought it was like a... a I, I'm not going to... I don't think... I can't think of any symbolism, but I was thinking the just to differentiate. I mean, you don't get much more different than red and blue, and that way you know one is one side and one is the other. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. No, no, all right, scrap that. Yeah. Um, but the other thing about those blue engines, and again, I was trying to think of this... You you have a very very JJ Abrahams lens flare, don't you, on those engines when oh, yeah, when the Star Destroyer? Yeah, <laughs> you know it's like I mean I, I know this movie so well I don't notice probably anymore and and uh, um it's funny yeah the the whole lens flare since the, the yeah. new Star Treks have been really in the mind's eye for a lot of viewers I'm sure. You, you you never know those lens flares on those engines might have given him the idea it's when he was like been, a little yeah, kid. Yep. Yeah yeah thank you George. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
But uh, no, but I was trying to think. And, and again, I, I, I can't think of any other time in the Star Wars films where you had a lens flare uh, before J.J. Abraham's day. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you did, it was, a, it was a natural one and your mind was probably prepared for it. So it doesn't stand out. Yeah, sure. Sure. OK. Um, the other thing, while I was comparing the two uh, two versions, is uh, you have explosive flashes in space. OK, yeah. <laughs> the odd one. They look so bad. Yes. They, they look really bad. They look like, you know, real cheap television special effects explosions superimposed. And I, I'm, I'm really surprised they didn't do anything. You know, um, I know this has been a bugbear for you personally on, on many episodes of Star Wars and characters where – They've gone ahead and they've tweaked things in Star Wars mm-hmm. for the special editions and Blu-ray and, and then not touched other ones. Um, but And this is one. It's They look really cheap. They, they, it's just the, the briefest flash of white with a bit of green tinge to it. Yes. Yeah. And, and there's yeah. a lot of that in um, not to jump out of the scene, but I will just just to kind of bring it around to the movie. There's there's a ton of that in the, 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 the trench scene, the Death Star scene mm. as well. See, I, that's going to be a future episode. That I trench figured, run yeah. is, is definitely going to be a future episode. But I, I've only been focused on this very yes, yep. uh, first bit. But, uh, yeah, it, it just seems a bit jarring, especially when you watch on Blu-ray on a big television. Oh, right, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's like, ouch, you know. I'm kind of um, curious what a combustion explosion would look like in space without the oxygen. I mean, there, whatever is exploding or being affected has to do something. I'm not saying this is what it would look like. I'm just curious what it would what it would look like compared to this. Oh, geez, I, you know what's funny? Oh, not to, to well, welcome to news as Matt jumps subject to subject. I'm, I'm watching the sequence as we talk so I can follow along and I happen to, by luck, pause it right on that flash and it's like nowhere near where the impact would even be i mean this is very rudimentary as see, you, i see, think we were saying yeah I'm, i mean i i was watching that and and they're nowhere near the ships um and yeah. it one it made me wonder what is it that that it's exploding then if it if it's just something like and i, I was thinking maybe it's some sort of you know in the second world war they had this stuff called oh, chafe yeah which they okay dumped out the planes to maybe you know the the, the targeting computer will right, focus sure. on that rather than the ship. So I suppose that could be explained. Like, that I way. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I'm really curious. Do you know how they did this by chance? No, I, be- I'm, what, what, whatever it was, it didn't, it didn't cost much money. Yeah. But it's, it's funny. Cause when you freeze frame it and this is, this is something you and I know very well, it looks like a burn mark in the celluloid film. What? That they've scratched the emulsion off. Yeah. Yeah, we used to do that a lot. Yeah. Did you used to do that? Oh, we yeah. used to do that in frames. <laughs> we used to do. We used to do. We didn't do it with. Uh, well, not act on purpose. Uh, we've made a lot of mistakes in our film days, but we did. Uh, and I'm think I'm sure you've heard this episode. We did a haunted house in a movie theater, and that's yeah, that was the yeah. ambience. Is we took some old trailers and just wrecked them, and that just just the appearance of that really set a mood in each of those houses. Yeah, I. I, I for for trainee projectionists i used to make up a dummy reel of you know old trailers old adverts mm-hmm. you know and i you would um you'd splice them together the wrong way round so yeah, the soundtrack yeah. was on the wrong side or upside down and very often you would you would put your own scratches in and things like yeah. that and then after fight club you know we were experimenting with actually trying to put something up for you know scratch you know a penis or something 24 <laughs> frames so it would appear for one second this sort of thing you right. know so yeah 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 Anyway, we've gone off on tangent again, haven't we? Yep. Stay on target, as yeah. they say. <laughs> um, um, and as as this segment comes to a close, um, 
uh, it finishes just before that cut into the into the corridors. Um, the the Tanta V4 is coming towards us. I just want to say I love how the laser blasts that are coming from the Star Destroyer, they come right past the Tanta V4 and into the camera. You yes. know, it helps sell the, you know, this sense of motion. And I, I just love that shot, you know? Yeah, I agree. Yep. Yep. The, uh, it's certainly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It sells the scene. That's not the word I want, but it's like, it, it, it just, it really, let you know, but there's not a word of dialogue. I mean, there was you. You were set up with the scroll, but there's not a word of dialogue, and you feel how much in danger their ship is from that shot. Yeah, and this is what I love about the the original Star Wars before they even contemplated making a sequel. Was it's just there? You're dropped yep. into it right from frame one. Bam, you're in, and it's um, you know it's a roller coaster ride. And and this last scene, th- this last clip before we cut to you know, uh, live action inside the, um, uh, inside the ship. I, I, I think, um, um, caps it perfectly. This opening, uh, effect sequence. Yep. I agree. Yeah. This is, this is your, you said in the outside of the, of the episode, it's one of the most iconic scenes and it's, it's you, you, you're not, and this is very, is, keeping in mind, this is 1977. This is rare for that time as well. You're not waiting to, learn the story you like you and you just said a minute ago you're, you're dropped into the story it's i can't think of many movies in that time period or even my childhood that like hit the ground running like this yeah and and it is sustained through the whole film and again yes, this is yep. why you, you know um a lot of people would disagree with me but the first one is, is is my favorite out of all of them in that you know yeah you have a little bit of backstory but most of the stuff is just there you know there are there, there are words dropped in there are references to the clone wars or my my father was a navigator on a spice mm-hmm. freight freighter and if they'd never made another star wars film that would be perfect yeah. you know you didn't need to know all the rest of it you know um and that's why i love this first one so much i agree yeah so matt when did you first see star wars and uh what did you think of it when you first saw it well technically it wasn't near the release it was 1978 because i think we waited about a year, roughly a year to see it um i know i've told this story before but i'm gonna tell it again because i love telling the story uh my parents absolutely despise despised and despise crowds and they saw all the hoopla and the <laughs> media frenzy of the movie and they were not taking me once the year anniversary or once a year past the year anniversary actually would have been probably worse. So it was short of the year of a year. Once the new year had rolled over, they thought it was safe, but they still wanted to be sure. So we went an hour early an hour early to wait in an empty theater with two other people to see the movie in 1978. See, that's the best. I, I think, I think subconsciously that's what attracted you to being a projectionist because <laughs> seeing it with right, hardly yeah. anyone in there, you know, when you're an adult, you become a projectionist, you're doing that and being paid for it. Yeah. So yeah, that's true. I, I, I think, I think the ro- that the roots were sowed um, very early there. Yep. yep. So um, it was yeah, it was seventy eight. I was seven, and what did I? I mean, I, I I'll be honest. I, I probably didn't walk away with this particular sequence or any one sequence in mind, except maybe the lightsaber fight. But I do remember, um, for the I, I, I this is the first time that I can remember walking away from a movie wanting to think about it and wanting to talk about it. My parents have taken me to movies, to Disney films, to family movies, and they're once and done. I left Star Wars wanting to keep Star Wars in my mind, go home to my action figures, get out my notebook and sketch. So this is, yeah, this sure. is the first movie I think I became a fan of. I mean, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I mean, 
I um, you, you read about the history of Star Wars and when it first came out and it says everybody was wowed about it. Um, you know, the opening, this scene that we're talking about, you know, that, um, you know, it, the, the, the Star Destroyer just, you know, went over your head um, and just kept going and going and going. And it's still very impressive now. You watch it on television and stuff. But I, th I think a lot of people who are, um, say, younger than ourselves who have never seen it on a cinema screen, you don't really understand what an impact that that would have made you know for anyone who had never um seen anything like it before you know yes i yeah that's uh i don't want to yeah hmm. <laughs> i don't know where i'm going there. i'll just stop <laughs> the other the, the other thing i wanted to say is um I, i'm a bit older than you um i was 15 oh wow uh, okay when star wars came out but here in england um this always happened, you know, back in the 70s and 80, 80s. America got it first. America always got the films first. It's not like now where sometimes e England even, you know, gets stuff before America. Yeah, that's but, what I was, I was going to say. Things have changed. You're getting this both the late the last two Star Wars before we did. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know what we've done to deserve that, but there you go. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, back then, I mean, Star Wars, it was May, wasn't it? It was May 77. It came out in America. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, we didn't get it. It didn't come out in England until Boxing Day of 77. Um, and then, um, um, back then, the, the, the procedure was only the big cities got it. So it was Boxing Day 77, and you had London had it, Manchester had it, um, Birmingham. Um, we, we were out here in the country. Um, our cinema didn't get it until I must. it must have been about Easter virtually a year after um you know it came out in america um which is a long time to wait especially when you saw on the news and <laughs> things like this all about this fantastic film yeah but but for me also the the problem was in that like almost year gap you would have the novel come out so i'd read that you had the marvel comics ad adaptation had come out you know the collector's edition had come out so i knew i knew the film and i knew this opening scene i knew what was going to happen that you had a spaceship being chased by this big star destroyer so when i first saw it for the first time it's like yeah but i'm not, I don't know what's going to happen right, right. but the other thing is um um so somebody of my age um God, i sound old i don't know <laughs> somebody somebody of my age in the cinema science fiction in the cinema um, this is why Star Wars was such a you know groundbreaker. Was um, science fiction in the cinema at that time before Star Wars came out? Um, it 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 was considered quite passe and naff, and people really didn't do science fiction films. And if they did, it was it was not block. You know, this is pre blockbuster, yeah. so you you didn't have you know. Um, or if you did have star, uh, science fiction films, they, they were metaphors for other things, be it the human condition, ecology. So you had silent running with, with its ecological issues, et cetera, et cetera. So you didn't have exciting science fiction on the big screen. Mm -hmm. You did on television. You know, I grew up with, as I say, the Irwin Allen TV shows, Star Trek, we had Doctor Who, you know. Um, you had all that on television, but nobody, nobody had ever seen a blockbuster action packed science fiction film. And, you know, it blew my socks off. I, I knew what it was going to be because I'd read it and I'd read the comic and looked at the making of, you know, magazines and mm -hmm. that. But I was floored. I, my jaw just hit the floor because, you know, it's on a 35 foot wide <laughs> screen, yeah. you know, and this thing comes over and we just had never, ever seen anything like it. Right, you know? right. 
And the other thing is, um, um, with the impact that it made, I don't know if the situation was different in uh, America, but here in England, how, well, th this is pre-Dolby. So, so cinemas just showed everything in mono. So you, you had this, you know, fantastic scene and it was all coming out of one speaker yeah you know, on on the stage i mean the cinema i worked at we didn't actually get um um dolby it was dolby sr mm -hmm. uh, we got dolby sr in 1985 so you know to have that amount of impact in mono you know that just shows you how powerful it was yeah yeah i'm i'm positive the at least the theater we saw it in because we we did not go to a big city you know event theater so i'm sure my experience was mono as well um and knowing that working in a couple of the theaters that i had gone to as a child knowing their sound systems yeah i'm, I'm pretty sure same thing for me as well and my friends yeah i'm, I'm and it's a testament to the scene yeah uh, uh, i mean you know that even now you know it, it, it i don't think it's ever been equaled um, even with the advent of CGI now, I, no, nothing um, matches it. I don't think. I mean, this is why I, I, I wanted to do this as the very first episode right, because, yeah. in, in my mind, it's just it, it's lightning in a bottle. You've got incredible special effects. You've got incredible music. You've got incredible sound effects. You've got incredible editing, all coming together to make this perfect, perfect um, um, special effects sequence. Yeah. Yeah. So, Matt, are you ready for some uh, facts and behind-the-scenes info? Yes. Okay, here we go. As I say, I'm going to focus on the Tantive V4 because um, this is the only time we see it in this film. Um, so, the Tantive V4 cost approximately $25,000 to build, uh, which was about a third of the total budget for the entire model work for the whole film. Really? So, uh, yes. That's now, surprising with all the models they have. A third of it went into this one ship. But it's not so surprising when it was actually meant to be the hero ship, wasn't yes. it? It was me it's True. meant to have been what they called the pirate ship. Ah. It didn't have the name Millennium Falcon by then. Um, so, yeah, they, they really invested a lot of money and an awful lot of effort into the model. Uh, that's why it's such an, uh, an intricately uh, detailed model. Um. And to get that detail in, you needed a large model. And um, what I love about this sequence is that the Tanta V4 is actually much, much bigger than the Star Destroyer. Um, the Tanta V4 is six foot four long. Um, the Star Destroyer is only three foot long. So it's over double the length of the Star Destroyer. Right. Even, even though the Star Destroyer is meant to swallow it yes. up in its belly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um. So, as I say, it, it re originally was meant to be the pirate ship. Um, and in that original incarnation, I'm sorry if you already know this. Uh, oh, no, no. Go right ahead. Um, okay. Um, in, in this original form, it featured uh, what would become the Millennium Falcon cockpit. Um, it also had the Millennium Falcon's radar dish. Um, it had an escape pod, um, both top and bottom. Um, and the cockpit interior um, featured a tiny Star Wars poster and a Playboy centerfold. Ah, now we're talking. Yeah. Actually, um, that's, that's funny. I'd, uh, I'm looking at model pictures. I'm actually trying to find, uh, I think I've seen the model. I'm trying to find the source of that. I can't remember the name of it. And I see, now that you say that, I see the uh, close-up of the cockpit with the Star Wars poster and presumably a centerfold, though. I have to admit in this photo, I might not have picked that out if you hadn't said that. But I'm glad you right. said that. <laughs> 
Well, what you're looking at on the screen isn't the bit that I'm talking about. That's uh, that, that that's at a later date. We're going to come to that. Oh, shortly. okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, but the original cockpit um, was, as I say, it's it's that rounded um, nose cone type uh, cockpit that the Millennium Falcon eventually had. And in there, there was a tiny Star Wars poster and a Playboy okay, centerfold. Gotcha. Um, it was built uh, by, among others, the, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, the Shoyer brothers and Grant McLoon. And detail was added by Paul Houston and Dave Jones. Um as well as all the details that I've just mentioned, it also featured tiny footprints across the hull, um, which were applied by Joe Johnston, who uh, he had made a foot-shaped stamp uh, cut out from a... Oh, right, right. Here's the English-American uh, divide. Oh, okay. I was going to say, um, they, he made it uh, from a stamp cut out of a rubber. But um, <laughs> in America, uh, that's something else, isn't it? Yes, it um, is. Yes. It, it's an eraser, isn't it? Yes, yes, okay. Right, yep. okay. He made a tiny foot shape um, stamp out of an eraser and actually put footprints all across the hull um, as if like a maintenance crew had been walking over there. Oh, and this is what I love about the old guys, yeah. you know, with their detail work. They, they put in detail, you know, that they knew would never, ever be photographed. It would never even show up on a still, but they put it in there as like in jokes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was the original incarnation. Um, but... As it got close to principal photography, uh, mention was being made on on how much uh, it uh, resembled the eagle from the TV show Space 1999. Yes, now, yeah, I, it does. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I Re mean, well, resembles. I mean, I wouldn't say they're from the same family of ships, but it's uh, well. I guess when you have an oblong ship with the engines in the back, that's pretty much all yeah. it takes to resemble each other. Now that I think about it. Yeah, I, I, I mean the. Um, the, the Eagle's got like the engines at the back. It's got like four in engine bells at the back. Um, and, you, you know, it's got a conical front, but it's also got four legs and a whole lot of girder work. I mean, I don't know. And, and I don't know why, why they would actually get worried by, by that. Would they think that, oh, it's getting confused with an Eagle, which can't see happening? Or are they going to be sued by, you know, the Jerry Anderson uh, group for it? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, my, my mind always it. goes to the, the artistic side, which is usually probably not right when it comes to the business of movies. But my 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 imagination says they want to make sure it's not confused for any other galaxy or world. You know, like no connection. Mm -hmm. We we're building we're galaxy building here. We're world building. We don't even want it to uh, yeah. uh, make you think of another place that you already know. Yeah, yeah. You you don't want to homage anything yes. or yep. or reference anything. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Maybe that's what it was. Yeah. But so anyway, it, it was changed to become the blockade runner. Um, and the changes uh, that they did was the, the cockpit was completely removed and it was replaced by the hammerhead one um, that we all know now. Mm -hmm. um, and that was made from two plastic paint buckets, which were glued <laughs> mouth to mouth. Would know? have never seen it. Now I can't unsee it, but in a good way, in a good way. But Lorne Peterson also did something similar uh, with the escape pod. That was, a, I, I think that was a paper paint bucket, okay. which they filled with some sort of resin or anything and then peeled the oh, paper I off see. To, yeah, okay. yep. to, to get the top part of the escape pod. Um, uh, the radar dish was removed uh, and replaced with a different type of one. Um, but it presented a problem because now the ship in the script uh, is much bigger than the pirate ship. Uh, so the scale had changed. Uh, change so uh, mm. further changes were made um 
the top and bottom escape pods uh, were removed and they were replaced by gun turrets, the gun turrets that the Tantor V4 now has. Um, and smaller escape pods were fixed in a row to the underside of, of the ship. Um, and a couple of the escape pod bays um, were left empty um, to try and uh, imply that the ship had come under um, earlier grief, which after Rogue One, I, I think is quite, you know, appropriate, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, um, yeah and and of course the foot the fit, footprints were removed. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so so that that that's the incarnation that we see on screen um, in a New Hope. Um, after the film uh, was finished, the the ship was put into storage, um, but it was taken out for the filming of Return of the Jedi, um, and it was altered uh, to signify a new ship. Did you know uh, that it had been altered? No. Yeah, yeah. They, they they wanted a gunship version, apparently. Okay. Um, a much more heavily armoured one. And they, they put windows along the spine and he, what they call heavy artillery um, um, were added to its sides. Hmm. And, 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 that's how it, and that's how it then went back into storage. Um, but in the mid-90s, it was restored um, back to its New Hope incarnation. Um, and the modellers took the opportunity... Um, cause it was going on a road show. I think that's when they first started, you know, taking the models out yeah. and taking them around. Uh, the modelers took the opportunity, um, when that, that they turned it back to the new hope version, but they also took the opportunity to put the posters in that you're talking about now. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, it's like an in joke back to its yeah. original incarnation. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and apparently the star Wars poster, um, was, uh, cut out from a, a video cassette box. Oh, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, nice, readily available uh, um, uh, poster there. Um, only a couple more things. Um, George Lucas, apparently, he insisted that at the beginning of the scene that uh, the Tanta V4 enter from upper right of the frame. I don't know why. I can't see any reason why. I, I, I guess if it came straight over, it would be too much like the Star Destroyer. Yeah, okay. And it would be like, oh, well, these are just models. Look, there's one going in a straight line. There's another one going in a straight line, you know? Yeah. Maybe. Maybe, but also I think it adds to the dyna, dynam. I can't say it. Dynam, dynamism. Was that right? Yeah, that, that I'll to go do. with it. I don't. Uh, yeah, of the sh uh, of the scene. You know, you're not expecting something to come in from top right and go down to bottom left. You yeah, know, I mean, true. We right. just weren't used to things like that. Um, and the last thing is that there were originally meant to be three star destroyers in pursuit. Mm at the beginning uh but the budget costs right. um uh reduced it to just the one so yeah i i, I don't think it would work so well if it had been three i agree i think i think that that re the, the that limitation actually worked to its favor yeah, yeah yeah and of course i guess they kind of like you know they did something like that later when the falcon leaves tattooing true. and there's two yeah. more coming to try yeah. and cut them off um so that's all that's all i've got for uh the uh behind the scenes Nice. The only thing I can add as a personal note is that you were just talking about taking it out, restoring it, and putting it on tour. Um, the tour that went through the States uh, was called the uh, Star Wars Science Meets Imagination, and I actually got to see this on display in Philadelphia. One of my trips okay. back home, we went to the Franklin Institute, which is a kind of a science and learning museum in the city of Philadelphia, and that's where they hosted this. So I took plenty, plenty of pictures, like every other Star Wars fan of our I, our ilk, I'd say, and just uh, yeah, they're 
sitting somewhere on a hard drive somewhere, but I I can't get rid of them because I saw it in person and got to take the pictures and now I have to keep them forever. Well, I, I might be just like you because next month I'm going up to uh, Star Wars Identities in London. Oh, okay. Yes, uh, that's the – yeah, that's – I've seen pictures for that. I actually would – not saying that what I saw was bad, but I, I'm a little jealous. That one looks like it had, had even more of what I wanted to see. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, it'll be it'll be good to see if the uh, if the ship's up there, and uh, yeah, like you, I'll I'll, I'll be taking tons of photos. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, right. Finally, uh, we're drawing to an end to this episode. Um, we're going to have a, uh, a a rating system um, for all the uh, sequences featured on this show. Um, one to ten, with ten being a bona fide classic, and one being about the worst you can ever see. What would you rate this, Matt? Oh, man. I hate to skew the numbers on your very first episode, but, I mean, it's... Oof. You know what? I'm not going to say 10 because of... Mm, why? You know what? Why can't I? I you know what? I can't. I, was, I, I can't even make up a, a logistical reason, or a logical reason, <laughs> I should say. So I have to say 10. I have to say 10 because I, I can't think of any... Uh, the, just the movie as a whole is the first movie I that, like I said, I walked away a fan from. And this this if if this scene wasn't as well done as it was, I don't think the rest of the story could have followed it. I don't think it would have put you in the right mindset. So I can't not say a ten. Sorry, like I said, sorry to 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 put a ten right on your first episode, but I have to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, no, no, that okay. Uh, me, um, it's an iconic scene, of course, deservedly goes down in history as one uh more so for me um you know being a massive science fiction fan just watching anything that might have a wobbly spaceship in it um no matter how dire you know watching the ray harryhausen films and just just waiting for the next next special effects sequence to come along because the rest was just so deathly dull this sequence was what i'd been waiting for totally and utterly and and when i did finally see it in mono it still Drop my jaw, and for that reason, uh, it's a ten for me too. Ah, okay, I was worried. I was like, he's going to think of something that's brilliant, and I'll <laughs> feel stupid. I really, I mean, I, I might be. I'm sure I can think of some that compare, but I can't th- think of anything that betters. Yeah. So I think I think we'll leave it at that. Okay. Well, I, th- I think that's uh, I, I think that's us. Uh, Coming to an end there, Matt. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for your time and oh, your patience. Thank um, you for having me. This was a I I that really enjoyed this conversation. Okay, and uh, and I'd like to say thank you for uh, taking my podcast in cherry. Oh sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and thanks to anybody that might be listening for listening. Uh, check us out on Facebook and Instagram, where uh, we invite you to take part. Uh, tell us that we're idiots and we miss this, that, or the other. Uh, contribute with your own thoughts and ideas on anything we might be featuring. Um, see you soon for episode two. Bye-bye. <laughs>